0: Faith Memorial Church was founded in 1945 as Cleveland Evangelistic Center. A lot has changed since then, but one thing hasn't. Faith Memorial Church's passion for Christ and compassion for the people of our community. I don't know what to do this morning. I don't know what to do. And that sounds hilarious cuz I just started a series last week. <laughs> let me let me say this, just because I don't know what to do doesn't mean that I'm not prepared. I've I've got I've got a message prepared, but I really feel like God is changing it all of like 2 minutes ago. And so we're going to wait and do the second part of our series next week. And we're gonna go on a wonderful adventure together into the unknown. We. We are going on an adventure together in the unknown because I don't know where this where this is gonna end. And I don't I say th- it, it may sound like I say that a lot, but the truth is is I just try my best to listen. And I try my best to be obedient. And if God wants to change the message that I have prepared every single week, then so be it. And I'll stand up here and say it every single week. I had a message prepared and God said he had a better one. Like that's what we're going to do. So, yes, and it is better. It's always going to be better. His way is always going to be better. And maybe the reason for it is is because God knew that we were going to have several people out for various reasons and He wanted them to be here to participate in the length of the sermon and uh, the series and you guys get a special treat today. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But the idea of holiness just wouldn't leave my mind and my heart. And no matter how, how I went away, no matter what I would try to think about, no matter what I would try to pray about, holiness just came right back. The idea of God's holiness. So you know what we're going to talk about, what we're going to preach about this morning? Holiness. Because I don't think we have any idea of what it really is. And I say that me included. Now granted, we've all been in church for a long time. I've preached a lot of sermons. You guys have heard a lot of sermons. Some of you have preached some sermons. Some of you have taught classes. Everybody has wore YouTube out on different messages and a lot of them may have talked about holiness. So sure you can probably define it to me. You can probably take me to scriptures and read scriptures that tell of God's holiness and you could say this is what it means and this is what people think it means but this is what it really means and this is the Christian definition. And maybe you can even go into the etymology of the word and how we get to the word holy. Maybe you can even give me Greek and Hebrew terms for what holy is but do we really know what it is? Because I don't think that holy is something that you can just define. I think holy is something you have to experience. And when I say holy, I'm not just talking about righteousness. I'm not just talking about purity. I'm not just talking about being good. Because when people think of holy, that's what they think of. Holier than thou. You're more righteous than those around you. That's not holiness. That's an idea and a concept that has been intertwined with the concept of holiness. But holiness is not righteousness. It's so much more than that. Righteousness is such a taken for granted aspect of holiness that doesn't even have to be mentioned in the conversation because it's just assumed if it's holy then it's righteous. So what is holiness? You know I was thinking about one of my favorite books is a book called The Idea of the Holy. It's by a guy named Rudolf Otto. I didn't name him, so don't judge me for the weird name. But he talks about this thing called the Mysterium Tremendum. It's a big word. Mysterium Tremendum. What about this? The Tremendous Mystery. That's a a translation of it. The mys- Tremendous Mystery. And basically he just talks about these different things. And some of the songs that you were singing carry some of the ideas. You know, he talks about this aspect of creature dependence. You know, we sang a song that was building off of Paul's sermon in Acts 17, you know, in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. And that song, you know, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out your praise. We pour out praise to you only because it's your breath. That's a creature dependence, realizing that it is him that upholds us and that our life is intertwined with the fabric of his sustaining word. That's why we live, because God thinks that we should live. I get so sick and tired of when people talk about why why should God punish the guilty? Or like when people talk about, you know, why was the punishment for Eve's disobedience so severe? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this this is the God of the universe who created an order and then we rebelled against Him and we're worried about the severity of the punishment? Like, why why do people have to repent and accept Jesus as the only way? Isn't that, you know, bigotry? Isn't that exclusivity? And it's like, why is there even one way? Like, why does God even provide us a single way out? Why doesn't He just kill us in our sleep for being disobedient and ungrateful creatures? Think about this. What happens when you have something that you have made and you have formed and fashioned with your own hands and it doesn't work the way that you have intended it to work? I just built some raised garden beds and I put put the slats in and I put the the tarp down and put the soil in. What would have happened if the whole thing would have just, the bottom would have fell out and it wouldn't hold the soil? I'd have scrapped it. And got rid of it because it wouldn't have accomplished the purpose that I built it for. And we don't accomplish the purpose for which we were created. And yet God has mercy on us and long suffering and chooses to provide a way and an avenue for us to come into fellowship with him and then him to empower us and then fill us with our spirit so that we can accomplish the purpose. He doesn't just throw us away. He's had every opportunity to. Why didn't he just strike Adam and Eve dead and start over? When he's talking to Moses, why didn't he just wipe everybody out and start over? Why did he keep Noah? Because I know that's where everybody's mind goes, to the, the deluge, to the flood. Well, he did wipe everybody out and start over once. And it's like, yeah, no, he didn't. Why did he keep Noah and his family? You think they were better than everybody else? No, they were just as depraved as everybody else. They just found grace in God's sight. So do we really know what holy is? Do we really understand? Because we get the idea of creature dependence wrong. And we start looking in ourselves like we have some kind of intrinsic value where God should look at us like he owes us something. And it's part of our Western culture of individuality and self-entitlement and self-importance that we look and say, well, God should do this, 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 and this in my life. It's like, no, I don't care what you do for God. God doesn't owe you anything. He is your creator. Everything you do for God is expected. That's your reasonable service. And yet we still feel like, well... I did good this week. I deserve a blessing. What? God's not a vending machine that you put a dollar into and you get a Coke. It's God. And we, in our default formulated religion, have taken God out of the equation and we've turned him into a system that can be exploited. That's not understanding holiness. That's not understanding who God is. And so when Rudolf Otto, he writes this book about the mysterium tremendum or the tremendous mystery, he talks about this idea of fascination. And the idea of fascination is when you walk into a room and there's a guy with a knife and you get scared, you get fearful because it's like, okay what's going to happen? That's an aspect of fear. That's a rational, sound aspect of fear. Because it heightens your endorphins and your adrenaline responses so that you can respond accordingly quicker than you would if you had to process everything through your rational and cognizant thought. It's like you see a spider on the wall and you're like, ah, spider. Like that's a rational, cognitive process of fear. I'm not talking about flies and moths driving you into a hysteria, so don't say Amen. (laughs) I'm talking about you see a vicious, rabies-infected wolf walk into your property. You respond with fear because you realize that there is an imminent danger. That's an aspect of fear. But the mysterium tremendum, the holy fear, is like when you're walking through a graveyard at night and the fog is settling in and you get the goosebumps and the hair on the back of your neck stands up and there's nothing around you that you can physically or tangibly be, tangibly perceive that would initiate a fear response but there's something otherworldly or spiritual happening in your heart and your mind that is generating a level of fear that's a different type of fear altogether and that is what's included in the idea of holy see there's an aspect of holy other than that strikes fear into your heart but at the same time as you having fear it's this appealing to your affections and saying come closer So it's driving you to this place of utter terror, but it's also at the same time beckoning you to come closer. That's what holy is. That's what holy is. You're scared to death, but you're also wanting to discover. And that's how God chooses to describe Himself. You know, holiness is the only superlative are the only attribute of God that is taken to the superlative degree. It is the only attribute of God that has used three times. It's called the trihagion. There's a big word for you. When the angels are circling the throne and they say, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. They don't say, love, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. They don't say, faithful, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. They don't say, kind, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. Even though those are true and those are attributes of them, the only attribute that they ever take to the superlative degree that they ever use three times in description of God is the word holy. And that is because every other attribute of God is run through this filter of Holy. He is love, but He is holy love. He is kindness, but He is holy kindness. He is justice, but He is holy justice. He is eternal. He is holy eternal. It's a disclaimer and a definition of how, or a foundation stone for how you should define every other attribute. So when people are running around saying, God is love, so you should... It's like, no... God gives you the way to define the type of love He is, and it's the word holy. Holy, holy, holy. That's who God has revealed Himself to be. And so, in Exodus, chapter 3, Moses comes to the burning bush, and you know you know it's 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 odd because one of the most terrifying substances on this planet is fire. Now I know people get obsessed and they like to watch it and you like and you sit in front of a campfire and you can kind of get mesmerized and lose track of time because it's relaxing and therapeutic to sit in front of a fireplace or a campfire. But imagine that that fire gets out of its containment. It's terrifying because it can destroy things. It can destroy things. It consumes everything in its wake. And it's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. Fire is fire and it consumes everything in its wake. And so Moses sees this tree and it's burning with fire, but it's not consumed. And when he sees the tree that's burning with fire and it's not consumed, what does he do? He turns aside to see the sight it compels him so even though it's a fearful substance something that should be treated with caution with respect and with fear it compels him to come close and then what what's God do do? what's God say to him before he gets any closer come on come on some of you went to the prophetic conference last night and you heard this mentioned in passing by Perry come on what's God tell Moses to do take his shoes off right My shoes are double knotted, so this might take a minute. <coughs> Consider this pausing for effect. <laughs> but I'm serious. I have never done this before. I've never done this before. And I'm not doing this to generate a response. Faith does this every time she preaches or every time she worships. She's a lot more holy than I am. But I'm serious. You know why God tells Moses to take off his shoes? It's holy ground. But you know what you know what that means? Listen, when the point was being made last night, it was talking about redemption and a kinsman redeemer. And what Moses, what happens with Moses, doesn't fit that mold. Because God doesn't tell him to take his shoes off because he wants to Moses to be a kinsman redeemer or Moses to pass up on redemption. Wow, this knot is not coming out. <laughs> one shoe off and one shoe on. Oh, my goodness, that was difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to attain holiness. That's right. (laughs) No, and I, yeah, you're going to look at my uh, solar system socks here. He tells Moses to take his shoes off because when you take your shoes off, you're renouncing your ownership of something. You're renouncing, in that that culture, you take your shoes off, you're renouncing your ownership. It had nothing to do with shoes. God didn't want Moses' shoes. It doesn't matter about shoes. It doesn't matter about your money or your possessions. That's never the point, but we're so materialistic, we get caught up in that. What's it got to do with the shoe? It's nothing to do with the shoe. It's renouncing your ownership. It's renouncing your identity. It's renouncing and saying you own this or you deserve this or you have this stature or this position. No, it's saying you own nothing. Take the whole daggum shoe store. I got a lot of pairs of shoes. Take them all, God. It's renouncing everything that you have and everything that you believe in, everything that you are, and saying, I'm coming before something that is so compelling and so fear-inducing that it deserves not just my attention, but it deserves everything that I am. Everything. It owns me. That's surrender. That's saying, God, you are holy. And because you are holy, and because you revealed yourself in such a way, I am yours. I don't have any entitlement anymore. I don't deserve anything. I love it when Jesus is using the parable of the the servant, and he's telling them, he's like, when you do all these things and you come back, it's still we're unprofitable servants. God doesn't profit from us. I hate it when these people say, we're giving God glory. No, we're just ascribing to Him the glory that's already His. We don't add anything to God. There's no deficit in God that says, I need to be loved, so I need these people to love me. God is in a perfect community of love between Him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost Three persons with one nature. There's a perfect community of love. Love is eternal. And love has to have an object for which it is to be able to be loving. Therefore, in order for their love to be eternal, there has to be three persons in the Godhead so that one person could show and direct their love towards another. Man, I love theology. I'm not even going to get into that, but I love it. Because you think about the fact that God has no deficit that he isn't in need of love because there's already a perfect community of love he doesn't need an object to direct his love towards because there's already a perfect community of love so if God has no deficit in him then what is the point of keeping us around it's just because he's merciful and because he's good and because he's kind. And because he's patient. And guess what? All of that is run through the filter and the lens of holiness. And we can't even begin to fathom it. Why is, You ever wonder why it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Because if we don't understand his holiness, we don't understand anything. We don't understand anything. You can't understand God's love until you understand his holiness. You can't understand the way that he operates and treats the covenants until you understand his holiness. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 6. Is this all right? Are we doing all right? I still have no idea where we're going. we doing good? we doing good? Okay. I don't know what I would have done if you said no. <laughs> I probably said, get over it. <laughs> you can tell me afterwards. Uh This is one of my absolute favorite passages in Scripture because it is one of the best passages to just absolutely understand the holiness of God. There are three. The Moses and the burning bush is one, hence the reason I'm not wearing shoes. Don't worry, I'm not going to make this a habit. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know, God may tell me different. Moses and the burning bush, renouncing everything that you are, Uzzah and the Ark of the Covenant. You guys know the story of Uzzah. That was one of the first messages I ever preached here. The Ark is going. They're carrying it incorrectly. They're following the pagan tradition. Uh, the Philistines' method of transporting the Ark with the oxen and the cart and the fancy wheels and you know the, the Maserati cart going down the road. And the oxen happens to stumble. Like God didn't make that happen. And the the cart shakes, so it looks like the Ark of the Covenant is going to fall. And so Uzzah, reacting, reaches out and touches it. And what happens to Uzzah? Bye, Felicia. He dies. Struck dead instantly because he touched something that was not his business to touch. (laughs) R.C. Sproul used to say that the problem with Uzzah was that he thought that he was more valuable than the dirt that the ark would have hit. The truth is, is he was the exact same. Guess where we come from? Come from dirt. So holiness, it's going to make you renounce who you are, and it's going to kill you. Let's get that right. If you're going to come to God and get in his holy presence, it will kill you. It will kill you. And you should be thankful for it. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read because we've got to have some, some reading. In the year that King Uzziah died. This is actually the first time I've ever read this passage in the NIV. You're welcome. That's just the Bible I happen to have on me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, on a, seated, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Man, I love that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this, was, this touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. The reason I read the whole thing is because this passage, Isaiah sees a vision of the throne of God. He sees a vision of the heavenly temple. And he is terrified and fascinated. That communicates the idea of the mysterium tremendum. He is compelled to watch and spectate. If there was no fascination, he'd be behind, hiding behind one of those pillars, not daring to peek out. If it was all fear and no fascination, he wouldn't be watching what was going on. But because there is fascination, his eyes are transfixed and he can't look away. But because there's fear, he says, woe is me, for I am undone. Essentially, in our modern language, that would be the equivalent of saying, curse on me, I'm a dead man or woman. I mean, that's, that's essentially what he's saying is, I'm in trouble I might as well be dead because this is going to kill me. And it's because the fear. So you see the balance, the fear and the fascination, the fear and the fascination. And in the church, I'm just like, we come to church and we sing some songs and we hear a pretty sermon and it's like, we don't have fear or fascination. No one's scared to go to church. I pray about this not as often as I should, admittedly, but I, w- I, I wish that people, if they sinned and got drunk and wasted and went and, had I don't know, had a one-night affair with somebody and the night before, and I wish that the church was walking in the Spirit so prominently that if they came into church, they were terrified that somebody would have a word of knowledge and be able to read their mail. I wish that... When I went to church and I was a kid, my grandmother was so severe. She she goes to a Baptist church on Dayton Mountain, still goes there. She was so severe she'd pinch me in the back of the arm if I if I talked. You guys remember, some of you remember the old holiness meetings? You were scared that if you stepped off the pew, the floor would open up and swallow you. Am I the only one that felt that way in some of those old church meetings? That was in a Baptist church. I can't even imagine being a child growing up in a charismatic church. Especially when they had those old holiness meetings where the preacher would get up and run across the back of the pews. People talking in other languages and nobody knows what's going on. That's mortifying, but fascinating. And where is it at? we have so systematized and programmed church that you come in and you know exactly what to expect. We're going to get up. Somebody's going to open the service with a brief exhortation with some announcements, and then we're going to proceed into worship. And it's going to be three or four songs, with one of them going to be fast, and two of them are going to be more progressively slow. And then the last one is going to be intimately slow and convey an emotional reaction. And when we get to a certain point in the song, we're going to either go up a key or down a key to try to induce an emotional response. And then the preacher's going to get up to take up the offering, and he's probably going to say something that connects to the worship song song so that that way your emotions are carried from the worship service and the music into the offering to compel you to give more than you might if you were just cognitively processing it and then after the offering and it's prayed for the preacher is going to have some kind of pause connection from everything that has happened up to that point to pre- create a segue into his sermon and then he's going to preach for about 40 minutes if he's long-winded maybe an hour and then he's going to have some kind of response time and an altar call then we're going to stay and talk for 10 to 15 minutes and then we're going to shake hands go out to a restaurant and eat and take a nap when we get home welcome to sunday in american christianity it's an indictment it's an indictment and i'm not saying that the system is broke I'm saying that the system is too system. There's nothing wrong with having a weekly meeting space. There's nothing wrong with taking up an offering or singing songs and worshiping God. In fact, all of it's commended. There's nothing wrong with hearing a sermon and someone exhorting and preaching the Scripture. It's downright biblical. And it's not just in the New Testament. Ezra did it in the Old Testament stood up on a platform and read the scriptures and explained them preaching is biblical taking up an offering is biblical singing worship songs to god collectively as a corporate community is biblical doing it once a week fantastic biblical show you biblical evidence for every single one of those things but the problem is is that they become so routine that the holiness has just went right out the window No one is scared to go to church anymore, and no one is fascinated by either. It has become so routine and so systematized that I can sit here and preach a sermon and shout my head off and weep and cry and look back and someone's sleeping. And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking in general. This is the state of the American church. And listen, I have listened to some preachers, and it's hard not to fall asleep. I can think of one preacher in particular, and I'm not going to dare say his name, but I have fallen asleep on one preacher. And that was because he was at an hour and a half, and he still hadn't told me what his first point was. And that's not a lie or a joke. But that's church. In fact, sometimes we'll go the other way. And they take the sermon from being in 45 minutes to an hour and they drop it down to 20 minutes and have little Bible, little, a little less theology, and zero God. Is that what we want? I just, I just really would like, and I don't know how to get it. If I had the key or the answer... Uh, Each week during this, 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 here's here's a little bit of a promotional. Each week, every day of the week, I do a radio program called Thinking Out Loud. This is me thinking out loud. This is me praying in the form of a uh, sermon. I just, I want, I'm serious. I want to get down on my knees and say, God, bring holiness back to the church. Bring fear back to the church. Yeah, I want to have fun. I love coming together and having good worship and praise and singing songs and seeing miracles and signs and wonders. But I want the fear of God to come back in the sanctuary. Can I tell you something? Honestly, faith is my witness. What was the name of the church where we saw the Shekinah glory? Do you remember the name? Where was it located at? (laughs) Geography is not our thing. In Decatur, Tennessee, Decatur, Tennessee. There's a little bitty church. It's no longer a church. It's just a little flower shop building. We had a uh, service on Monday nights called Ascension. We were new. We newly married. New new to ministry. What's that? Oh, okay. Anyway, on Monday nights, on more than one occasion, and even on Sundays, occasionally. There's like 20 people in the room, if that. And all of a sudden, you'd feel a weight in the air, and you'd start to see this fog sort of look like fog start coming through the ceiling and down in the congregation. And y- your hair on your back of your neck would stand up, you'd get cold chills, and you'd want to say something. As a leader, as a leader in the church, you'd, we wanted to say something. I'd want to say something because I like to talk. I'd want to explain what was going on, but I was too scared. I was too scared to say anything. It was like my tongue wouldn't move. It wouldn't operate correctly. And there was no children's church program. There was no teen program. There was little kids in the sanctuary, and there was a little four- or five-year-old boy, and he was insane. I mean, I'm talking about his behavior was insane. And he was running around the sanctuary. And all of a sudden, he just stops and sits down in the middle of the aisle. No sound. And sat there for over an hour. Just paralyzed by the weight that was in the room. And I look back to that moment, and literally, I I could move my hand, and I could feel the air. It was like, the only way, have you ever melted butter? When butter is not fully melted, when it hasn't completely become a liquid, but it's not a cold solid, it's like somewhere in that in-between, and if you push on it, it just, you know, spreads. It's like that that pristine moment, if you want to butter some toast, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. But the air was like that quality. You could move your hand and it felt like moving it through partially melted butter. It was the most insane thing I've ever experienced. And it didn't happen just once. Uh, Maybe three, four, maybe five times I, I, I experienced this in that little church. And I just asked myself, why not every single time we come together? It wasn't... It wasn't that the worship was off the charts, you know, billboard list number one. I mean, faith was doing it, so it was amazing. But we were all just learning. I was just now learning how to preach. We had other people, so it wasn't always faith. We had other people that would participate in the worship and sing songs. And they weren't very talented, but we knew that God had called them and they had a long way to go, but they had to have somewhere to start. Other people preach, not just me, not just faith. So it was like there was no recipe that we were doing something that could be formulated and put into a bottle or a book and then sold on Lifeway or ChristianBook.com. But that's what we do. We figure out something that produces an effect and somebody writes a book and then puts it on a shelf and says, here you go, here's how to make it happen, and it ruins it. Just ruins it. And it's like I just keep asking myself, isn't there more to church than just a meeting? Isn't there more than just coming and having a formulated program and then leaving? Sometimes it makes me sick. And I love church. And I love you guys. This isn't about this. This is my favorite church. I mean that. I love it here. I love Cleveland. I love this church. That's not to say that I didn't love any other churches that I've been a part or any other leadership ministries. Because there's a lot of people. I walked in the door today and thought about some people from our last church that I miss, And I almost started crying because I missed their faces so much. But I love where I'm at and I know God's called us here. This is just an indictment or a question about, is this all there is? And I know that it's not. I know that it's not. And so I just ask, God, is there something that I have to do? Because I will do it. Take my shoes off. I'll never wear them to church again if it means the glory shows up. I'll come in and funk the socks. I'll walk the sidewalk in the parking lot without shoes if I have to. Is it the suits? Get rid of the suits. Fine, they're gone. Is it wear suits? I'll wear a three-piece suit every Sunday. Is it change the order of the service? Is it change the way the sanctuary is decorated? Is it move something, add something? What is it, God? Because I'll do it. Because I want God. The very first Sunday of this year, I said the vision for the church is I don't have it. But I know that I want God. I know that I want God. What do you guys want? God. Say it again. What do you want? god that song that we sang he's all that i want all that i need he's all that i've ever wanted all that i've ever needed look god isn't mean he doesn't tempt us by hiding himself from us he says if you seek you will find So where is the disconnect? Because I'm finding a lot of paperwork theology. I'm finding a lot of people that can tell me about God. A lot of information about Him. I'm finding a lot of things and a lot of people that that can tell me how it used to be. But you know what? Unfortunately, the generations that have seen how it used to be are not getting any younger. There's going to come a day where my generation is not going to be able to look around and see anyone who remembers how it used to be. There's going to come a day where we turn around and we're saying, where are the people that were there during the healing revivals or the businessman's revival? Where are they at? And I am not content to continue to eat worm-encrusted manna from yesterday. Manna is a gift from heaven. And it's created by the dew, the moisture, the life in the air settling on the grass. When the sun hit it, God performed a miracle and it became manna. There's a whole wonderful spiritual revelation sermon in there. But the essential piece of it is is that there was life, moisture representing life and the spirit of the living God that was permeating the atmosphere and that it was used to nourish the children of Israel every single day. I know I keep throwing my arms up. I'm not doing it intentionally. I just talk with my hands a lot. Like, I just don't have the answer. But I know that there is one. And I'm not going, I can't continue to go on without God showing up. We're doing a series on signs of a healthy church. Before we even get into that, I think the number one sign is that there's a holy God present. Because otherwise, it's not healthy or a church. I don't know how to end this. <laughs> An altar call, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. How about w- how about we do this? How about we realize this little connection here from Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, he has the fear and the fascination. And then there is, out of that fear and that fascination, there is a boldness produced. The experience produced a boldness. The same Isaiah that was hiding, wishing that he were dead, knowing that he wasn't worthy to be there, becomes the same Isaiah that says, here I am, God. Before, when it starts, I'm sure that he didn't want to catch anyone's attention. But at the end, he's like, here I am. Pick me. And the only thing that's changed is he had come into contact with the sacrifice, with the act of sacrifice, the coal from the altar, which is a wonderful allegory of the act of sacrifice of Jesus Christ coming in. Jesus Christ accomplished more than we'll ever realize. I've read books on what was accomplished by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus And the truth of the matter is, is nobody knows everything that was accomplished. There's so much. I heard somebody say one time that they knew all that there was to know about the cross. And you know what I said back to that? Pardon my language. That's asinine. It is. To think that you know everything that there is to know about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That tells me that you don't know anything about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But one thing that was accomplished is when Jesus died on that cross, the veil of the temple that separated the holy of holies was torn from the top to bottom, showing that God did it. But it was torn from top to bottom so that we had free access to go in and he had free access to come out. He wasn't confining himself like that anymore. And so Isaiah realized that it was through the sacrifice that he now had the ability to survive in the presence of the Holy of Holies. I want church to induce a holy and reverential fear. And sometimes I come over on Saturday nights to pray. And I leave the lights off. And the reason I do that is there's lights out front and it kind of shines in so you can still see. But it creates this eerie feeling. And I'm not trying to go for like emotional response or anything like that. I'm just It just creates this atmosphere of realizing that there's things that we don't understand. It makes me more aware of it not that it changes anything. See we we run around with our proverbial flashlights trying to look under every nook and cranny and trying to take the mystery out of everything. And in so doing, sometimes we remove the thing altogether. I'm ready for mystery to come back to the church. I'm ready for holiness and for godly fear to come back to the church. And I know that it can. And I believe that it will. So we're going to pray together. And I'll close this out. We're going to pray together. And here's my prayer. That God would wake us up. And that we would get a holy discontent. A holy discontent for the status quo. Amen. dear father let your spirit fill this place remind us once again of who you are not who we think you are not what our theology books have told us you are not our systematic understanding of who you are not what tradition has built up to say that you are. Lord, let us know in this very moment, in this room, who you are. God, I don't want church to be boring anymore. I don't want church to be predictable. I don't want it to be plain and mundane And I don't want it to look the same as every other church. God, you are too creative for that to be the case. You are too awesome for us to come into this place and treat it like you're not even there. We come in and we preach about you. We sing songs about you. We pray at you. God, I'm so tired of it. I'm tired of just rhetoric saying that things will change. I'm tired of just rhetoric saying that we're going to do things differently or we wish that it was like it used to be or we pray and talk about a revival that's just around the corner but we never seem to have the ability to make it to the corner. Wake us up, God. Come in the fullness of your power and the fullness of your glory and shake us. Pick us up and shake us. I think about Ezekiel and you picking him up by the hair of his head and just shaking him. Shake us, God, out of our slumber, out of our sleep, out of our complacency, out of our, our satisfaction with things as they always have been and shake us awake. And Lord, let the desire for the more and for the extra and for the mystery and for the holiness and for the fear to stay in our hearts. God, I get tired of my firework faith where I have these moments where I desire the holy and I desire the fear, and then I get so back into the complacency and I fall right back in the rut. God, I don't want rut. I don't want speed bump Christianity where you can't go. We can't go as fast as you want to take us or go to the depths that you want to take us because we keep hitting these little speed bumps of our theology or our preferences. Lord, we get so caught up in what color is the carpet or what color is the walls or what pictures are hanging or not hanging or how did they sound? Did they hit the right key? Did they sing my favorite song? Did He preach on my favorite book of the Bible? Did He have good pulpit etiquette? We get so caught up in nonsensical, non-relevant things that we forget that You are God. Captivate us anew, God. I don't even know what else to say. So I just say, please. Please, God. Amen. I love y'all. I'm not mad at anybody. Y'all are dismissed.